2: This is Make It Plain.
0: M I P. With my semella, Mark, Mark Thompson. Make It plain. Get Woke.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, a very uh, special guest we have with us today here on Make It Plain. A lot going on, of course, with the Derek Chauvin case, and now we have the uh, Dante uh, situation. In Minneapolis, we'll we'll touch on all of of that, but we're happy to have um, here with us. And he's got a brand new book out uh, entitled "Desmond Tutu: A Spiritual Biography of South Africa's Confessor." And I think this is timely, considering what we're facing here, uh, uh, particularly in the United States. Um, what we're dealing with in terms of um, issues of race and and race relations, something has got to be done. And uh, I think that what we are seeing are still some of the same battles that we have been facing for many, many decades, centuries, in fact. My guest is the author of the book, and he is in fact the herbert thompson professor of church and society and director of the desmond tutu center at general theological seminary here in new york president and ceo of the peace battle institute the author of 11 books including reconciliation the ubuntu theology of desmond tutu Uh, He focuses his ministry on nonviolence, Christian reconciliation, human spirituality, and Ubuntu, the African worldview of community. He actually lived in residence with Archbishop Desmond Tutu in South Africa for two years and was ordained a priest in South Africa by Tutu in 1993. In 2010, he was given one of the highest Anglican church distinctions as sixth preacher. Uh, and again, his book, Desmond Tutu, A Spiritual Biography of South Africa's Confessor. The Reverend Dr. Michael Battle joins us on Make It Plain today. Dr. Battle, so good to see you. How are you, sir? Doing good. Thanks, Reverend Mark, for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, uh, I know you're here in New York. How are you? Have you, been, have you been able to stay healthy and safe during this pandemic? You okay? Family? okay? Yeah, we're we're still doing good. Okay. That's good. We're happy to hear that. It's a relief to know. With all this going on right now, I remember distinctly the anti-apartheid movement. I was very much involved in it. Was a great admirer of Bishop Tutu. As a matter of fact, I was more of an admirer in the beginning of Bishop Tutu than Nelson Mandela, because I could physically see Bishop Tutu. We could see him, watch him, hear his voice emulate him. And so I was drawn to him immediately. Um, and obviously, um, was able to go there myself several times. Do you see some of these tensions here in America today around police violence representing a similar atmosphere as we saw in South Africa in those waning days of apartheid?
3: Most definitely. And I I can understand your reasons of seeing Tutu, because during those years, especially in the 80s, most of the Black leadership, political leadership, was in prison, or they were forced to to leave um, South Africa. And so Tutu was one of the few leaders that was able to um, continue to be a public face. Um, And Mandela also said the the very same thing you know out of sight out of mind Mm -hmm. when they tried to hide um, mandela's leadership and charisma they were counting on this out of sight out of mind to work Um, thank god it didn't in terms of the the police it was similar in south africa in the sense of there was a considered a secret force the police had something called the third force and clandestine activities were occurring so much of the the violence was occurring from the actual authorities to be peacemakers so we see very much the same sort of similarities and i think what's going on now is that you know because of cell phones because of the ways that we have access to more materials behind the scenes we're we're seeing what's been going on with the police for quite a while now
2: yeah yeah would it be a stretch, or would it have been a stretch? Was it a stretch for me at that time, even and and in the '80s, to have seen Bishop Tutu, as well as really a sort of a reincarnation of of Dr. King, with all that turmoil, with all that racism, with him being minister. That's what that's what I felt. That's what I saw.
3: Yeah, most definitely. Tutu really admired King's courage, his voice. Fierce voice, and as well as his his global sensibilities, as you know, King had great affinity for Gandhi and for uh, Albert Lutuli in South Africa, one of the first Nobel Peace Prize winners. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot of connections between that kind of leadership of King and Tutu. The only thing Tutu did not have that King had was a constitution. King had a constitution that he could appeal to, to reveal the hypocrisy in the United States. Tutu had no such constitution. It was run almost as a theocracy because it was run by Afrikaners. And the architects of apartheid were seminarians, clergy, Dutch reformed clergy. And so Tutu repealed, you know, he he relied upon his theological acumen to show them that that was not a Christian
2: faith that they were operating from. So Dr. Battle, tell us about you. Are you you South African?
3: I was born in New Orleans. I'm a Southern Southern kid. And I grew up in North Raleigh, North Carolina. My first year in public school was first year of integration.
2: How did you end up in South Africa mentoring under Desmond Tutu?
3: Yeah, I was at Duke University about to write my PhD dissertation And I was going to write it on a white Oxford bishop on a a beautiful theology called The Vision of God. And I I had this epiphany. We didn't need any more theology on Europeans. We needed to really focus. I needed to, to focus on, you know, somebody who was not given the credit theologically for what he was doing. So I focused on Desmond Tutu.
2: Yeah. You describe him as South Africa's confessor. Talk to us about that and and yeah. how you came to that.
3: Yeah, you know, confessor is um it's a term that comes out of theology, Christian theology. Um, probably the most famous comes from the Roman Catholic Church in which, you know, if you watch the mafia movies, those people would go in and sit in a booth and they would give their confession to the priest. Well, when the priest is hearing the confession, that priest is called the confessor. And the one giving the confession is the confessee. So it's kind of formal theological language when I'm calling him the confessor, because you know, when all is said and done, historically Tutu is gonna probably be remembered the most from his leadership of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in which systematically South Africans confessed what occurred during the apartheid years. And so in many ways, uh, he is one of the most pronounced confessors in human history.
2: How was that process? What what in terms of his role and obviously he will be viewed in that way, he was able to get that done. How significant, how helpful, how transformative was that process of truth and reconciliation and confession?
3: Yeah, you know, Reverend Mark, I can I can see where you're leading me here. You know, the United States is gonna inevitably have to have a Truth and Reconciliation Commission because of the North Atlantic slave trade and the benefits and all that's been inherited from slavery. South Africa did it because when Mandela came out of prison uh, in 1992, he wanted a truth commission, naturally. And the previous president, F.W. de Klerk, the Afrikaner president, wanted a reconciliation commission, naturally, being the white one in power, didn't really want a truth commission. But become because of the wisdom of Desmond Tutu, of, well, yeah, Desmond Tutu, but also of Nelson Mandela, they compromised and had a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And there have been other Truth and Reconciliation Commissions around the world, especially in Chile and Panama, but there's never been one as powerful and as real, and not just with the military, but with the whole nation state as South Africa did. I mean, when all is said and done, that was one of the most unique Truth and Reconciliation Commissions experiments by any other nation state. So yeah, I think it helps South Africa to move beyond a quagmire, which we see in the Middle East, which we see in many other nation states around the world constantly embattled in civil war. It helped South Africa to skip those steps. But if you don't face what is the historical cause of the country, you keep repeating these same systemic dysfunctional episodes. It's like a virus. It just keeps coming back. And the Truth and Reconciliation Commission can help be a vaccine in many ways to expose the virus and
2: heal it. More MIP after this message
0: peeps. It's your girl, Danielle Moody, host of Woke AF Daily. Every weekday, I'm sounding the alarm and keeping you woke to all the pure evil that is going on in our country. Check me out now at patreon.com slash woke AF. Get five new shows every week for just $5 a month. Get woke and stay woke as fuck.
2: So was there, do you think that in this process there was significant healing? I mean, obviously people were able to come forward. Bishop Tutu was an important part of that. Did it, it help with the healing process in South Africa? And just to be clear, you were there during the time of the transformation, the election and all of that. And and I presume you were there too, part of the time for the truth and reconciliation process, too, correct?
3: Correct. I was there in the the preliminary stages of that. we call it the TRC, Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I literally left the next day after Nelson Mandela's inauguration. so a very historical historical time period I was there,
2: yeah, and so do do you think that it ended up bringing about a level of healing for the country, a level I, I, of? Creation?
3: I do. I mean, if you can imagine having about three or four years of just going around the country and having the media record all of the incidents that occurred between 1960 and 1994, which was sort of the framework of Nelson Mandela's leadership. He was put in prison around 1960, and then he was elected president around 1994. And during during that time, if you would say out loud, if you would confess what you did, that was considered a political violent crime you could be given amnesty. So can you imagine people who otherwise would not be giving such a confession legally in court and who knew that it was gonna go to court, can you imagine what occurred publicly in, in terms of finding out things you, you otherwise would not know as a nation state? Yeah. That's, that's healing. I mean, I know the criticism is, okay, where's the justice? But Tutu's particular framework, his frame of reference, was justice has two aspects. It has retribution, and it also has restoration. And he was really focused on restorative justice, because in retribution and in criminal justice, oftentimes the offender and the victim never come face to face. And what we have learned in the new discourse of restorative justice, when you practice bringing them together, so much more can be done. So much more that, as you are pointing to, can be healed.
2: You also, Dr. Battle, describe him as a Christian mystic. Explain that to us as well.
3: Yeah. So, you know, most people who know about Tutu see him as primarily a political agent. Mm -hmm. Even though they know he's a Christian, uh, an archbishop, because of his leadership against apartheid, they see him simply as a political figure. It's similar to what the sort of stereotypes of Martin Luther King was. And many did not know the depth of his theology, his spirituality his understanding of satyagraha with mahatma gandhi and so on so tutu is trained by monks early on when he was a child he he was sickly and a monastic community the community of the resurrection really uh, groomed him for leadership this this monastic community was in the anglican church from england and they saw the genius of tutu and they groomed him and and they also allowed him to go over to London and study theology. Again, similar to Gandhi. I mean, Gandhi went over to London to really understand this empire, this British empire. Tutu had a similar epiphany as he was studying theology. But it's kind of like, you know, the superhero movies, Batman, and then when they go and meet with the monks and these monasteries, and they, they have their epiphanies of who they are, and their training and their physical acumen come together with their spirituality. Well, Tutu had very similar experiences of being grounded. And this Christian mysticism that he learned in terms of, you know, he prayed about five times a day, the grounding that he had with God, the fearlessness that he learned, it came from that substantive character of contemplating the presence of God. And the longitudinal, the longevity of his life also points to this this Christian spirituality that maintained him.
2: Yeah. But you've also talked about his political spirituality. So uh, explain as someone who's probably myself, a, a kitchen table theologian, <laughs> help, help me reconcile the mysticism, the Christian mysticism, as well as the political spirituality and, and how they... In a sec, Professor Battle.
3: Sure. Well, as you know, Reverend Mark, he was in a basically a theocracy. You know, the Afrikaners set up a government based on a religious worldview from the Dutch Reformed. The term apartheid is really a theological term, it's in the view of the Afrikaner, a word which means to be holy, to be set apart. And in a dysfunctional theology, they understood that they were set apart for God's purposes, that they were the chosen Israel, that they were the ones set apart to lead these people out of heathenism and out of backwardness and so on. So Tutu's political spirituality was up against the Afrikaner's political Spirituality. And many people don't know, but in South Africa, you've got two white identities. It's not just one white identity, it's two white identities. You have the British and you have the Afrikaners. And the British and both of these white identities were at each other's throats. The British placed the Afrikaners in concentration camps at the turn of the 20th century. And so you have the Afrikaners hunkering down on a apartheid theology, that God is with them, not just against Black people, but against the British. Tutu's genius of his own spirituality was to show that as long as you treat any human being as unequal, you are treating God and the same way, that every human being is made in the image of God. So theology and political theory came together, and the ways that I think Tutu was successful was that he helped to shape the imagination of the Afrikaner to finally realize that apartheid was hurting God, and so, I think, in a nutshell, that's how the sort of political theory and the spirituality come together.
2: More MIP after this message. Where and and I forgive me, I don't remember where was the the, the Dutch Reformed Church or essentially any other white denominational church in South Africa around the time of Truth and Reconciliation. I mean, was was he also? having to change some of these other Christian churches thinking as well? I mean, were they trying to catch up with that political theology and and that same uh, reconciliation and confession that Bishop Tutu was espousing as his theology?
3: Yeah, you know, the Dutch Reformed Church had its prophets. And so even from the very beginning, and even during apartheid, you they had prophets that were pointing out the sinfulness of apartheid. Um, you probably have heard of Alan Bozak and others. They they are they were Dutch, they are Dutch Reformed, but they were prophets that were calling apartheid a heresy. Yeah, so Tutu did continue to wrestle with the government whose leaders were Dutch Reformed to remind them that what they were doing with such a governmental practice of apartheid was sinful. Mm-hmm. And he did he did try to, as best he could, um, listen to what they were saying, but he would also say that, you know, if you want to truly be a Christian, you can never treat and categorize any human being as an untouchable.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And would you say that his role and the impact of the TRC in South Africa have had a, la- a significant lasting effect on the country and on faith? Yeah.
3: Yes. Um, Tutu's spirituality, I think, is his genius because what you see behind the scenes in his life is what you get in his public life. There is a profound integrity. And that also transfers into his leadership between an anti-apartheid leader and a leader in the midst of a majority Black government. Tutu would would get on Mandela's nerves, for example, by always talking about the pay scale that many of the government leaders in the ANC were receiving, while at the same time there was no infrastructure. There was no focus on an infrastructure for the majority of the country. Right. So how could you have these pay, high-paying salaries when the government hadn't yet gotten the infrastructure that they were promising to all the South Africans? And so you know, of course, Tutu and Mandela were really good friends, but he was a thorn in the side, not just in an anti-apartheid sense, but he was a thorn in the side hmm. of the ANC. He was consistent. He he had integrity with what he was doing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. (laughs) I mean, that's what he was supposed to have done. Folks, Desmond Tutu, a spiritual biography of South Africa's confessor. I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't ask you this. Well, you talked about a little bit how he went to London to learn. It's interesting how he and Mahatma Gandhi went to the seat of their oppressor to learn and then come back and dismantle the oppression obviously validating our oppressors fears and anxiety about us being educated about (laughs) that's you flip it and turn it and turn it right back around being involved myself now in the reparations movement but i'm gonna tell you something dr battle see what you're talking about here though is the spiritual aspect of the trc in South Africa. So at the moment, unless we can recruit you, there there's no not necessarily that confessor presence that exists within any of the conversations around the TRC now. So I, I, talking to you, I think that's something that we will miss and we must figure out a way to consider in this country. Would you not agree?
3: I do, I agree. And I think, I think it should be at least a year and we need to get the media and experts like you to expose it systematically to the public for at least a year, to, to hear the stories of people, you know, octogenarians, people whose parents were born in slavery. We still have them, we still have them alive and we, right. they need to be upfront mm-hmm. and talk in a primary way, firsthand about the stories of their lives because that would make a huge impact.
2: Yeah, yeah, no question about it. Folks, we invite you to check out the book Desmond Tutu, a spiritual biography of South Africa's confessor. And of course, as we've discussed today, not only does Dr. Battle take us through Bishop Tutu's role as a mystic, but as a confessor, um, as one who represents political spirituality and political theology which to people like me is not a bad thing at all. You know, it's interesting. Listen, to Dr. Battle, so those of you who know me, imagine if Dr. Battle had been my professor, uh, uh, he's too young to be. I, I, we, you and I are actually close to the same age and close to the same birthday. You're December 12th, I'm December 21st. We're about three years apart. Uh, <laughs> but when I was a freshman in 1985 at Georgetown University, I, I just about almost got kicked out of school for leading the divestment campaign on that campus and you know, staying there the apartheid struggle from that age of 18 on. Now, if I had run into someone like you then as my professor teaching the way I'm sure you teach your students now, I mean, I just would have been even a bigger mess, <laughs> even, more <laughs> than, even more trouble than I already was, man. Oh my God, uh, <laughs> if you had been my religion teacher. So uh, your your students are fortunate uh, to have you, but this is a very, very important conversation. And then I was just having a conversation yesterday with some others about Dr. King and his political theology, so to speak, using your term and how people like Dr. King and Bishop Tutu were challenged beyond just preaching about salvation and prosperity and all of those other things that are just general so to speak and and i don't mean that in a pejorative sense but challenge more to deal with the here and now and praying with our feet and and praying with action and here you say even bishop tutu was you know agitating nelson mandela say hey y'all got to get this other thing straight so i mean that's and i and i know dr battle working and, and studying under him you know once you open the door to that type of theology it's hard to, to to close it and go back to talking about things that are more mundane, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate yeah. you, brother. Bishop Desmond Tutu, folks, that's the book, Desmond Tutu, a spiritual biography of South Africa's confessor. I uh, hope you all check it out. That was an, an enormous historical moment during that time. And I think there's a lot we can learn about what we need to do today and as you alluded to, making people see and understand how we are mistreated. When we are mistreated, you are, we are mistreating God, really, and God's own people. By the way, have you had a chance to see the new movie, series everybody's talking about, Dr. Battle? Because I think it has some theological implications. Uh, the new series, Them, have you had a chance to look at that?
3: No, that's that's high on my list.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'd be curious to hear- That's Jordan,
3: Jordan Peele's thing,
2: right? Right, right, right. I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about it. I finished it last night. And it's it's the devil and God and Satan and hell and all of that in it, but it affects us. And it really kind of alludes to what you said about how, how evil is perpetrated against those of us who are oppressed. And it, it, it almost validates, at least metaphorically. I mean, people think when, back when Malcolm used to say the white man is a devil. Oh my God, that's a terrible thing. You can't say it. But today, I'm gonna wait a minute now. Yeah, he, he had a point right <laughs> right 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 it's not as controversial yeah. as it was because, you know what i'm saying so yeah yes, sir well bishop I, i'm sorry uh bishop desmond tutu a spiritual biography of south africa's confessors by the uh, confessor by the Reverend dr michael battle such an honor to speak with you sir and thank you for joining us on make it plain okay thanks so much for having me thanks for getting woke and listening to make it plain please remember to listen like and